Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Iowa's News Now Sports has your all-access pass to all things Hawkeyes. This is Eye on the Hawks, sponsored by University of Iowa Healthcare. Everyone definitely took a little more, like longer than that 24-hour rule. Uh, Cap was talking about we can let this one sting a little bit longer just because, you know, we don't got nothing right away to get back to. Sometimes you let it sting. Sometimes you go find a change of scenery. And when the bye week is here in Iowa City, they're not using Kinnick anyway. So bring in Eye on the Hawks. Mitch Fick, Owen Sebring, Mike Cowell here, enjoying a nice overcast late October day. And uh, trying to move on just like the rest of the Hawks are in the middle of this bye week. We're going to be looking back at our preseason predictions, see how well some of us did, see how not well some of us did, and uh, maybe look ahead to our the rest of the season as we get into the month of November when you want to be playing your best football. But we talked a, a little bit on Saturday, or Sunday, I should say, after Saturday's loss against Minnesota of just the importance of the bye week coming now. You're eight games in. That defense had a few guys limping around, moving a little slow. Uh, before we hear from the, the guys that we got to talk to, a lot of new faces that we haven't mm-hmm. seen all, all season here on Wednesday. Uh, just what are the feelings now a few more days removed from uh, that loss and, and getting to a bye week and a good rest time? It still stings. I mean, it, it still hurts to think about what happened on Saturday and either us as journalists, the fans, the players, just knowing how how tough that loss is to swallow. I mean, it's tough now, and I feel like this is one of those losses that people are going to remember for a long time, even after people do move on and we win more games and the bowl game comes and all that stuff, even in the next season. It's like next time Floyd Rosedale game comes around, there's still going to be a lot of people talking about that punt return. I'm always interested to see what these players do on a bye week. Obviously, with a loss like that and how it transpired and the controversial call that everyone can't seem to stop talking about or argue online um, would obviously be different if that touchdown's counted, you know. Um, But how do they bounce back to these last four games, which are all winnable? But again, like we said last week, they're all losable, too. I mean, there's not one, not even Northwestern. They beat that Minnesota team that just beat Iowa, you know, earlier in the season. So you can never count on a win in any part of the schedule here. Any given Saturday. Thank goodness, though, there are so many people that already knew what an invalid fair catch was <laughs> on the Internet that were so eager to share their opinions and their philosophies on something that they've totally known more about than just five days. As the kids say, uh, I call cap on that. Um, <laughs> I, I think you're the, the youngest <laughs> of us. You're the, you're <laughs> yeah, the kid. That is, that is true. Um, letter of the law, when you look at it, yeah. Um, but, I mean, like I said on Sunday, the spirit of the game, I don't think that's what the football rules and the officiating crew, no matter, you know, what they say afterwards, uh, you know, what they, you know, I I just don't think that in the spirit of football that they should have a lot of that touchdown. It's it's tough because I am a, I am a proponent of replay. I do, I do think that replay is good for the game in terms of like, you should get the calls right. If these are the rules that we play by in the game of football, we should make sure that you're abiding by the rules properly. And so again, as you say, according to the letter of the law, like that was the rule and, and it, it, it would be a penalty or not a penalty, but it, it should be dead fair ball. catch dead ball, which again, going back to the, probably the main point is that they should have just ruled it dead in the, in the heat of the moment um, rather than letting the play play out. But um, it is still tough just knowing that there are still a lot of those plays like that, that should 
you know, there's the gray area and there are plays that, you know, uh, you're just not ever going to get every single play right. If you dissect every single play, you're going to be doing replays, you know, after every single play and there's going to be some penalty or something that you could call. So um, do you let that play out or do you just, you know, say, let's let's call it back. So yeah. it's it's tough. One thing is replay. Another thing is auditing an entire play mm-hmm. after the fact. So yeah. clearly. Still a lot of talk about it and a lot of thoughts, but that's why the players say this week is so important, not just to physically rest up, but mentally even unplug entirely from the game in some points. Losses are always going to be tough, and it's inevitable in life, and whatever happens, all you can do is look for it. There's always going to be light at the end of the tunnel. Monday was kind of a slower day for the uh, guys that have been playing a lot of reps, obviously, and then... uh, these past few days kind of just toned down a little bit and uh, still getting some good work in. And then uh, Thursday through Sunday is kind of just off time for guys to go back home or do whatever they got to do. It's always nice to get away from it. I feel like with this sport, it's so stressful. Like if you just if you forget the mental side of it, it can get really tough and it can take you out, honestly. So uh, super fortunate to get into the bye week healthy um, personally and yeah, just try to use it to my advantage so yeah, when um, I get back and help the team even more. So there's a couple hunting trips planned there. Drew Stevens says he's not going to kick until Monday, which, again, I talked to the Deontay a little bit, too, about this. Just from the outside, I, I hope people can understand of more that these guys do need breaks and aren't like, or you're going to unplug. You're not going to think about football. You're in the middle of a season. Like, as we heard from multiple players, Eight games is a long time, especially these are full-time jobs, essentially. So it, it's inc- I'm glad these guys are going. Uh, Rusty Fest's going to hunt for the first time, and he gets to do it in Iowa. I know Ethan Herkett's got a group as well. Uh, these guys, I, I think, are doing what's absolutely necessary, maybe even more so after after Saturday of just let's get away, unplug, refresh, and, and plug back in for November. Uh, I liked hearing that uh, even Drew Stevens, he's going back home to yeah, South Carolina. You know, a lot of these guys are getting out of state, getting a chance to go see their siblings play. I know Cooper DeGene told us a couple weeks ago that he was going to use this bye week to go see his brother yeah. play his his younger brother's a freshman at OABCIG and they've got a playoff game coming up here and uh, on Friday night and so a lot of these guys get a chance to go back see family that maybe they haven't seen for a lot of this season and and just kind of forget about college football for a little while I even asked Drew if he you know if he's a big fan of being from South Carolina I'm like are you a Clemson Georgia USC guy and he's like ah, I was USC but he's like I don't even want to really watch a USC game just because if I'm watching football I want to be in it and I want to be dissecting everything so it seems like these guys are just you using this week to to not even allow themselves to think about college football hardly. Yeah, I mean it's a good opportunity for us to to get a break um, from I mean I love coming <laughs> this here. This is on... taking more logistical work than anything. I mean you you're, yeah. the, you're the one behind the scenes a lot but yeah this Re- yeah, little little break. recording two maybe three times a week and then coming here. I mean don't get me wrong, I love these Saturdays in the fall where we get to can- come hang out. Um, but even just for fans getting to watch other college football, I think and I don't want to take a shot at the Iowa offense, but maybe you can watch some offensive football on Saturday. Uh, there, there's a few good games uh, that I would, you know, I think, well, actually this week, there isn't a good slate, but I think yeah. Utah plays Oregon, which should be a good one. I always make the joke that there's nobody who watches less college football than college football reporters. Sure, <laughs> I mean, it's like on, one game, right? On Saturdays, we cover the Iowa game, and that's all the college football we really get to see. And then we watch college football final on ESPN that night. But we might catch some uh, some highlights there in the photographer room as we're editing on something <laughs> like, oh, Nebraska? Okay, yeah, just <laughs> back, back into the edit. Uh, it, I, it was funny talking to the, the SIDs that we see every week here uh, with the football team, setting up the interviews with players, Matt Weitzel and, and James Allen. Matt told me that he's going to do everything he can to not watch any football mm-hmm. on Saturday. 
he's going to try and take a bye week too. Where James was like, how do you not watch football on a Saturday? <laughs> There's probably a, a yeah. solid middle ground there. Yeah. But of course, the unplugged then comes before November. Kirk Ferentz and probably any other coach will say, you want to be playing your best football in November. That is where champions can rise. And certainly that is the focus for the Hawkeyes once they do refocus on football, that you're down to maybe a four-game season in the Big Ten, trying to win that West title and trying to keep everything still on the table going into that final month. It's going to fly by, and having the bye week now, you know, really shows that we have literally only four weeks left, and, you know, we have to make the most out of the next four games that we have. Everything you want's in front of you. You just got to go take it, basically. So I think it's up to us to do whatever we want to do with this opportunity. A lot of guys are banged up, and this is a good time for us to get some rest, and then when we get back out there uh, for these next four games, we're gonna, our body's going to feel a lot better, and we're going to be locked and loaded, ready to go. All right, back on Eye on the Hawks. We've heard from the players. We're going to get ready and look at our preseason predictions and see how uh, not like Nostradamus we are and how maybe we are towing that line a little bit. Maybe uh, need to start buying lottery tickets. But let's start with just an overview of where we are eight games in, things Probably some ways seem pretty evident. Other ways, maybe you got to do a little more digging. But let's let's talk about what everyone loves talking about, which is the Iowa offense. Through eight games, you've lost a starting quarterback. You've lost your top two tight ends, who are also your top two wide receivers. O-line's been banged up a little bit. The running back room's been banged up. Having said all that and knowing the production is or isn't what it is, how do you guys feel about this offense through eight games? <laughs> Uh, I mean, any grade that you give them has to be the lowest possible grade. You know, we, we say we talk about, you know, traditional grades, A through F or whatever. I might call it an I for incomplete. Just I think because, that's probably the fairest thing. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it's just it's it's t- tough to get a gauge on it. Yeah, it's it is hard. But they they have been about as bad as you could imagine them to be. I mean, literally, they are the worst uh, collegiate offense in in FBS football by most metrics. Uh, I mean, the offense just does not produce like we'd hoped they would. I mean, again, the, the injuries obviously are, are a big part of things. Um, but at the same time, I, I keep saying that Iowa has the next man in ment- mentality. And they talk about, you know, who's going to step up. And every team goes through injuries. And so, um, you know, even though they've had injuries to some vi- incredibly crucial players, maybe their three most talented offensive players, um, it's it's still been tough to see them struggle through that. It is tough to properly gauge. I mean, when you look at the metrics, I think the offensive yardage per game is lower than last year. But you have, you know, a quarterback who's through what three, like zero collegiate passes before he came in. He's leading the charge after, you know, what was it, the fifth game that he came in. Um, you didn't expect Deacon Hill to to get any meaningful minutes this year. If you know, if you were, if everything went the way it did, you wanted Cade McNamara, who's won a Big Ten title to come in and, and, and write the ship, maybe get used to his offense, his new scheme and stuff like that. So it would have been nice to see if, you know, if he hadn't ever get gotten hurt to see how the offense would have progressed throughout the season. But yeah, I, I like the way you put it incomplete. Um, you got to see what they cook up after the, the bye week. If anything, I think there was some tea leaves that Ferentz did say in his last press conference that he said, that's not acceptable. Things need, you know, things, the offense needs to do better. Uh, but how can they do that? I think the predictability of this offense is really what's hurting it. I would like to see um, a change there. But how much can you change when maybe your quarterback isn't as experienced as you'd want him to be? It's kind of a tough situation. I think there's been a few examples of just missed opportunities. We talked about this a little bit. I can't remember if it was on camera or off camera on Sunday. But, you know, that opening drive where Deacon's cooking, he's hit a couple big plays. Great catch by Deontay down the, the far sideline from the Iowa sideline. You only get three. Boy, if you get seven there, that's a that's a mm-hmm. big, big difference, especially in a game like that where we knew coming in 
great, the over-under is 30 and a half. It's got to go under. Like, it just, that's just how that game, every little point. And there's been a few other examples of that throughout the year. Just, boy, yeah, you're you're inside the five, inside the 10, and you're settling for three. And, boy, you, you turn a couple of those drives from three to six and an extra point to seven. It, it makes a lot of difference. Even for a six and two team, mm-hmm. certainly would have made a difference on Saturday. Maybe not so much in Happy Valley. But, uh, yeah, just just those little opportunities would go The drive away. you mentioned, too, that one that the first drive would ended in three. There was a missed opportunity, obviously, you know, when Seth dropped that pass yeah. over the end zone. If Deacon finds him earlier in the route, he was open, probably scores. So those are the little things that, you know, it takes like all 11 players to to connect on that. And uh, just, you know, if they go up 7 nothing and then tack on another touchdown, like sure. does Minnesota score 14? I don't know. I mean, it's hard to play that game. Yeah, a lot of revisionist history. We've been through that the last few days. <laughs> that that has been a theme, and, and you guys tell me if this has been something you've seen in the past from Iowa, but pretty much every single game Iowa's had a great opening drive. Their first drive of the game is great. They come down and either score a touchdown or field goal or at least make some progress down the field, and then the rest is a little bit suspect from the rest of the, <laughs> from the, rest of the game. Um, is that traditional with Iowa that we see that every year that they have a great opening drive and then the rest is not good or is that something new this year I'd say it's almost the opposite right because remember we came into the season as like this is the first opening drive on a regular season yeah, they scored in a while been a while I I would say we've we've talked about this quite a bit actually over the last few years especially that Iowa wants to start quick they want to get that lead and once they have that lead they're going to do and stick to the philosophy that yeah. frustrates 70,000 fans in yeah. here <laughs> is that They've got the lead. They trust that defense and special teams. They know the defense is going to hold, or that's their hope, and they haven't been proven wrong too many times. Torrey's going to pin teams back, and they know once we have our lead, it's it's why that, that eight-point rule that Fox Sports put up there is so pivotal that if they have an eight-point lead, chances are that team is not going to come back 69-2 and two now um, after that, that win against uh, Purdue that they get that lead and, and keep it, and uh, Wisconsin as well after that. Uh, I think, yeah, that's just kind of – what they do, whether that's by design or just how the the cookies crumbling, that it feels like, yeah, that's that's another part of that Iowa way, Iowa football. I wonder if that goes back to you know the predictability. I think it was Scott Doctorman who had the report on eighty mm-hmm. percent of the. I, I don't remember the exact stat, but the the predictability of when when they're in certain formations, when they're in certain personnel groupings, they you know defenses know a lot of times what I was running, but the first fifteen plays they always say are scripted, and maybe that's where. Brian and the offense do something different when you come out throwing on first down like that first one Deontay on the sideline Minnesota was not expecting that and it was a first down 15 yards they get a three nothing lead 10 nothing lead and then what is it it's running into a seven man box eight man box and Minnesota just knows to me it looked like they knew what you know what was coming and Maybe that's a little bit of it. I don't know. Better sleep means better morning. Start your morning waking up on a Restonic mattress. At Corcoran Furniture, we are Delaware County's largest Restonic mattress dealer. We have great prices on Ashley Furniture and the largest selection of Restonic mattresses. Featuring the marvelous middle, giving you more support where you need it so you can sleep soundly. And it's made for you right here in Iowa. So if it's a crossword, coffee, or the morning news, let Corcoran Furniture help you start your morning off right. Visit Corcoran Furniture in Manchester or shop online at Corcoran furnituremanchester.com all right as we get back on eye on the hawks we've uh put a few symposiums together on the offense because there's no lack of words sometimes for (laughs) the lack of offense for iowa in 2023 but defense and special teams those are the cornerstones of this team i think we knew that coming in 
put a grade on it, put an observation on it. It's Iowa's gone as far as those defense and special teams have gone, and it's taken them to six wins for through the first day. Yeah, I, I think you have to again, if we're giving out letter grades, the the defense has to be an A. I mean, A plus if anything, just because they again through. We played eight games now. They've only allowed one rushing touchdown. It was in the fourth quarter against Purdue. Only rushing touchdown they've allowed all season. Uh, the last two games going into the bye week, they've not allowed a touchdown at all. Um, just uh, continues to bend but not break, allowing field goals, which, again, to Minnesota's credit, they they made those field goals hurt on, on Saturday. Um, but, gosh, that, that defense has been outstanding. The defense has been outstanding and the special team has been outstanding. It's almost like when you're talking about it like we are, it, I don't want to say it's boring because it's amazing to watch, but to talk about it, it's like, what can you say other than, I think the big surprises on defense, if you want to call them surprises, is that, you know, Jay Higgins has been so good. Like, we knew he was going to come in and be the leader of this defense, but to have 102 tackles, lead, be second in the nation in tackles, uh, the way his mentality is, I think he's, you know, one of the best kids that, you know, a college kid that, you know, I mean, I haven't covered it that long, but it, he, every time he speaks, I'm like, interested in what he has to say. Seb Castro has kind of surprised me. I thought he was going to be a solid cash player, but he's been another leader in this defense. Those are kind of the big storylines, I think, to me. I think everyone knew Cooper would be great. We've mm. seen Cooper be great. Jay Higgins was a guy that was brought up kind of unprovoked by Kirk last year, and that was kind of my key. And I think we talked about it too, of just like, okay, like watch out for Jay Higgins. Blown everybody out of the water. He's been fantastic. Seb, yeah, was an awesome story in the Music City Bowl. He has come a long, long way. And again, he, he's going to be playing on Sundays next year, which is going to be super, super fun to see. But guys like Y.A. Black and Aaron Graves, who have filled in for Noah Shannon as he's out and still waiting for word on what's going to happen with him. But Joe Evans, who's just been the, the consummate pro in his 20th year with the program. You know, there's been those guys there that have just... Continue to be stalwarts, continue to hold steady, uh, and it's been super, super fun to see. Nick Jackson it gets swallowed up in all this defensive talk. Yeah. All he's done is brought his 350 tackles from Virginia, come here and really, you know, maybe took a game, game and a half to truly get into the the stat sheet the way maybe we're, people were hoping, but he's been terrific. And then that that secondary, even losing Kayvon Merriweather and Riley Moss, Xavier's looked great in his first go around. Quinn Schulte continues to do his thing. Jamar Harris has been back and, and looking pretty solid. It's just that's all you can really say about the defense is just name the guys and go, yeah, they've been great. Yeah, and it, uh, it continues to maybe be the frustration of how, how lackluster the offense is because the defense is outstanding and the special teams continues to be outstanding as well. I mean, Torrey Taylor is, I, I, I don't know the punting nationwide landscape, but you have to think Torrey Taylor is at least top three in the conversation for uh, the Ray Guy Award for the best punter in the nation. Um, Drew Stevens coming in as a sophomore. I mean, he's been he's missed a couple field goals, but he's been overall pretty good. I think the Iowa fans have to like what they see out of him. He told us today that he can bomb it from 63 yards on the indoor practice facility. Greg. We we saw him we saw him hit the 53 yarder. I think it was in the season opener, and it had a lot more leg than 53 yards. That thing could have gone a lot farther than that. And so, um, gotta like what he's doing. And then if if anybody you know can weigh in on on long snapping with Luke, Luke Elkin, <laughs> then hey, I think only, seems good. I used to be a high school long snapper. And I I think I've only right. seen one. <laughs> yeah. I think if I had an extra 40 pounds, I might have been able to do it in college. But um, I've only seen one bad snap, and it wasn't even that bad. It was a little high for Tori. I can't remember what game it was in. It was a few games ago. But yeah. other than that, like, I mean, he's just a pro. Yeah, the, the special teams, that whole group, you could argue, is collectively the MVP. Obviously, Tori's going to yeah. get all the all the, the hype as well he should. He's, he's legitimately, there's a solid argument, he is the most important player on this team, which yeah. is wild to think because you got Cooper and you got a lot of other guys, but what he does for field position is 
invaluable. Yeah. One thing that Luke Elkin does do that we can at least tangibly see is that he's the guy that's been downing a lot of those he's punts first down guy. at the two UN yard line. Him and Cooper are him first guys and, down. Every time it's either him or Cooper that's down there punt, uh, down in that ball inside the five yard line. And so the kid, I mean, which is amazing for a guy that like as a gunner for Cooper, you understand how he's getting down the field that fast. For Luke, he's got to snap the ball, kind of recover, and then get down the field. And so for him to be the first guy to the ball is incredible. So there is some good stuff happening for Iowa football, despite what you might see on the offensive side. <laughs> some really fun. That's when you know you're covering Iowa football for a while is when you're getting really into the nitty gritty with special teams and really fawning over some incredible. We're talking about long snappers, folks. It's really great. <laughs> so we work with a lot of meteorologists after the break here on Eye on the Hawks. We're going to see what our prognostication abilities are like. We're going to look back at our preseason predictions and maybe have to do a little bit of revision on some of them. Bauman's has been selling quality clothing for over 100 years. We carry a wide selection of men's and women's clothing. We recently expanded to offer a great selection of shoes and accessories. We have the area's best selection of both big and tall and can outfit anyone from the farm to the office to a casual night on the town. Bauman's is a proud family-owned business and we're excited to continue the tradition of quality clothing and unmatched customer service since 1909. Visit us for all your clothing needs. All right, it's time for the put up or shut up segment of Eye on the Hawks. Uh, back in August when we first launched this crazy ride, we made our preseason predictions both in scheduling and then our offensive, defensive MBEs, breakout players, bold predictions. We're going to look back on those. We'll start with the schedule itself, which through the first six games of 2023, pat yourselves in the back. Everyone knocked this out. Everyone had six and one through six or five and one through six games, only lost at Happy Valley. Despite everything that we saw on and off the field, I think everybody felt good of like, hey, like, if that's what's happening, even with all the injuries, still 5-1, and one, Happy Valley is going to be a tough one to win. I think everyone felt pretty good about that. Wisconsin, Owen picked uh, a loss to the Badgers going to Madison. Mike and I had a, the win, so we got that. You guys both had Minnesota taking the Floyd Rosedale back to Minneapolis with them. I thought it would stay here, and that's where we are heading into the final four games of the season where most everybody's on the same page. I know Mike has probably already vocalized some <laughs> possible regret of thinking Illinois might come in here and, and wreck senior day for the Hawkeyes. Who knows? It's the Big Ten West in November, but right now everybody else seems to be on the same page thinking Iowa could win out against Northwestern, Rutgers, Illinois, and Nebraska. Or at least we did back in August. We'll revisit that in a little bit, or let's revisit it now, I suppose. What do we think going into the final four games? Do we like where we are in terms of the picks? I would, if I were changing mine up, I would, I would maybe stick one more loss in there, um, and I, I could as we've mentioned, it could come any game. I would say maybe the one that it comes is the the Rutgers game. I guess I'll say that they've looked really uh, incredible a lot of times this season. So I'd maybe say that that Rutgers, I, I would possibly change to an L if I were to change anything. I'd probably move my L from Illinois to Nebraska. I think a road game, um, you know, Illinois is not as good as I thought they were going to be, but they still are capable of putting up a fight. They almost beat Wisconsin last week. Um, they did beat Maryland up pretty good a few weeks ago and but they have laid some stinkers so they're a team that on any given Sunday they could give I Saturday I should say um they could give Iowa a, a tough bout but I don't know what it is about this Nebraska game I think that one it's just Nebraska yeah it is Nebraska, you know they <laughs> in Lincoln beat Iowa last year it's in Lincoln it's a road game and there could be a Big Ten West title sure. on the line yeah. um not saying the pressure would get to them it's just a tough environment to win in so i think i'd move it there we talked about iowa and minnesota really being two sides of the same coin mere images you know what coaching tree pj fleck comes from greg shiano's where's greg shiano coach rutgers and you watch gavin wimsett and that offense ball control security clock management 
feels a lot like Minnesota. So yeah, to your credit, it's going to be another one of those possibly throwback Big Ten West games with an East uh, flavor to it. So we'll see what happens there after that Northwestern game. Let's get to our offensive MVPs, defensive MVPs that we had to start the season. I and Owen both had Caleb Johnson as our offensive MVPs. Mike, you had Caden McNamara, I imagine. You'd like to change yours, and uh, I, I feel like I want to stay maybe in the same position group, but uh, obviously Caleb uh, has been banged up a little bit too, so everybody we picked on here has been a little banged up. But start with you, Owen. Offensive MVP through eight games. <laughs> um, this is <laughs> – I don't know. I don't know who would be the MVP right now. I would say maybe it would – I. If the running, like, if, if Eric All was still healthy, like I, I would say through that Wisconsin game, it would have been Eric All. But right now – uh, is it an offensive lineman, maybe? I would say it's LeSean. Fair mm-hmm. enough. LeSean Williams has had two mm-hmm. monster games, yeah. uh, including that, that Wisconsin game. I think, yeah, if Eric's still healthy, Eric's probably, at least right now, he's probably your, your runner-up despite being hurt. Hmm. Caleb's maybe third, and I'm trying to think, you know, Rusty Fest maybe will get to breakout players. I would say Rusty's maybe up there. Mason's been been pretty solid. Logan's been good. The only thing with uh, LeSean is, like, I mean, again, like on Minnesota, nothing i mean everybody was yeah Yeah, it's true but yeah yeah, it's like he's he's definitely had some games off whereas a guy like eric you know he was pretty reliable most games yeah um so i don't know it's tough for me to pick offensive mvp right now it is uh i'm looking just at the stats i think you know 5.5 yards a carry and again like there are games like i don't even know how much i don't know what that stat was at penn state but you throw that game out and then minnesota um those are probably the two worst games rushing offense of the season um but 400, almost 500 yards rushing, two TDs, one rushing, one one receiving. You'd like to see those numbers. It is kind of interesting that Caleb and LaShawn, they kind of just rotate some, or LaShawn, they, they kind of rotate some games where Lish, or, um, Caleb had a big game against Purdue and then the next week against Wisconsin, it's LaShawn. It's just, if it was one running back doing that, it'd be an easy answer, but it is tough. Or if Eric was at, still in, you have to go Eric all, I think. Um, but unfortunately, you know, he's not going to have any production left the rest of the season talked with jazz patterson a little bit on wednesday too and the fact that it is a running back room that has he had his big game against iowa state caleb's had a couple big games lee sean or caleb had his big game against uh purdue and he's finally getting healthy lee sean had his big ones against uh western michigan and wisconsin you've got three dudes who have shown they've got a little home run ability they've got some big play ability more the merrier i suppose as you're getting into these last four games as you're working to establish that running game and not have the the crazy high highs and the super low lows and a little more consistency you'll take three dudes who can take a swing at it kamari and, bolton and, also had two touchdowns touch yeah, more yeah. than lee sean right now so that's kind of interesting yeah kamari <laughs> had that big game as well and, and tj washington back there as well again i've only played three games so maybe able to re- preserve those red shirts will sure, certainly take uh more years of them if if the flashes are, are what they can be here in Iowa City. Defensive MVP entering the year. I had Joe Evans. Owen had Cooper DeGene. Mike had Deontay Craig. Cooper's a pretty solid pick, I would say, go, uh, going into this. He, he's been great on special teams, too. But Pro Football Focus had the number 430 snaps this year so far, 340. One of those two, I can't remember exactly. He's been on the field for a lot of snaps, hasn't given up a touchdown. That maybe speaks volumes more than any other statistic. Yeah, I'd say I'd say I'd still tab him as a defensive MVP through eight games. I mean, Jay Hagan's certainly putting up a strong case, and if somebody said he was the MVP, I wouldn't argue with him too much. But Cooper just, he's a difference maker out there. As you say, hasn't given up a touchdown. Um, just, it seems like every play he's out there, he just brings a different kind of energy to the table. I mean, that's something that we just don't see out of defensive backs very often that it's like his presence is noticed even when he's not making an interception or a pass breakup he's just a difference maker out there every play he is a difference maker and he's a game changer um please play him at 
Wildcat for two snaps. <laughs> just kidding. Uh, I think it's Jay Higgins. I mean, just from a mindset and leadership standpoint, um, that's who I would go with. Yeah. I would go there, too, not just because of the production, but because of the shoes he had to step into. I mean, everyone was like, well, Jack Campbell's gone. Like, Jay, like, I guess whatever we get out of him, that, that's that's great. But from that first game, and he was at the podium and, and being asked about having a game like that, and him even saying, I'm just trying to maintain the standard that's been set. You know, he has just been the consummate leader. Again, was got a little bit of a go last year and has come in. I, I think Cooper, I think, is the best player on that defense. I do think, though, with Jay's leadership, more of a vocal guy than Cooper, um, at least as far as we can see in his production. Um, I, I'd put Jay as my MVP, too, but there's zero wrong with Cooper because yeah. he is the best player on that field when he's on the field. Breakout player, special teams MVP is Tory, right? We can oh, yeah. That. Okay. All <laughs> we right, didn't even it. do that in the preseason. Like, but we you all could know. argue Cooper's kind of the co-MVP <laughs> oh, there because he's, I don't know, there's a punt return that maybe didn't count. I don't know. Breakout player. I had I went offense and defense to, to enter the season. I said YA Black. I butchered his name in August. I've learned it now, and a lot of people Pretty don't know YA Black's name. He's been great. Seth Anderson, you and I both had his breakout players. Just had just had a couple of drops. Obviously, right out the gate was fantastic. Looked good one play in the season. Yeah, and and you had uh, and you had Aaron Graves, which is another pretty. Uh, there's been so many. You probably got four or five options uh, uh-huh. across both sides of the ball for breakout players because you could make the argument that Jay Higgins is your biggest breakout player. If you've got him as your defense or Cooper as your defensive MVP, maybe Jay's your breakout. Seb's been awesome. Uh, what do you guys think for somebody not on this list that you've seen breakout that maybe we haven't talked about yet that you, you've really been impressed by? Yeah, somebody like Aaron or Wyatt wouldn't be a wrong answer necessarily, but I, I guess I, I was definitely looking at like you know transfers and freshmen sure. coming in, and so that's who I was mainly thinking. So it's hard like when we've known these guys a little bit to think of them as a breakout but I guess I would say it's Jay just because I certainly did not expect this kind of production out of him a guy who's going to be leading the nation in tackles for FBS or for power five teams Um, he's been outstanding I would have to go with Sebastian Castro Um, I think last week again after the Wisconsin game he was he was rated as like the PFF had him as like the second highest corner through like six or seven games which I mean he barely I know he plays slot corner sometimes and he moves around all the time playing in a pseudo like you know third linebacker when when we're in kind of a nickel but he's just a game changer I think to have that kind of versatility to come up and stuff the run against Wisconsin he was blitzing all the time and and I thought he should have had at least one forced fumble I thought the two fumbles he was in there on but they were awarded to someone else but uh just the pick six against Iowa State I mean you can go on and on with the impact plays that he's made he's um to lean into the cliche he's just a football player man (laughs) I mean uh to have a guy that wraps up as well as he does and then also hits his heart. He had some shots on Minnesota guys that were just like, whew, like how do they hang on to the ball there? I, Either way, I think you could be right on, on the breakout stuff. Rusty Feth, if we we're going to pick an O-lineman again, talking to the, about the transfers, he's come in and really established himself. And we kind of heard that in, in fall camp and had heard it. he's worked his way in the starting lineup and has been really good. I would... Man, Seb, we, we thought he was great coming out of Music City, but he's been really, really Hard nice. Hard not to mention yeah. Nick Jackson, too. I mean, he's been great. we yeah, expected this because he had 100 impressive. tackles, but he's he's right, you know, he's always like second or third in tackles behind Jay Higgins, of course. Yeah. And, uh, and Xavier Wampa just quietly back in the safety spot. His first year starting, so much expectation for him just coming in and then uh, getting the pick six in the Music City Bowl. He's been steady and strong and... If you've ever interviewed him, pretty quiet as well. Pretty silent. <laughs> Bold predictions. These were bound to fail in some way, shape, or form, maybe. Mine coming into the season was that Jamari was going to have more interceptions than Cooper DeGene. Two to one Cooper right now, heading in the final four regular season games. 
Owen had a player finish in the top 10 in Heisman voting. Mike had Deontay Craig double sacks this season. Deontay certainly has had an impact. We've talked about the lack of sack numbers, not for lack of pressure on quarterbacks and hurries. I would say Owen's probably the closest one because as we've talked about, if that punt return from Cooper stands, I don't know if he's going to New York, but a lot of people are talking about finding a dark horse candidate for Heisman and they probably found number three in black and gold. Absolutely. You know, he's Desmond Howard if that if that touchdown counted on Saturday. And I mean, even without it, I feel like his name is out there right now. And college football analysts, people who follow the game know who Cooper DeGene is. And so I'd still say that he definitely was not maybe who I had in mind as my top 10 Heisman finalist. I was thinking maybe it'll be Caleb Johnson. Maybe it'll be Cade McNamara. But I did not think it was going to be Cooper DeGene. But it's possibly could get there. I mean, still, he could get there. If he gets, you know, maybe three more picks this year, maybe one or two more touchdowns, there's a lot of people that are going to be talking about him at the end of the I season. I think he, he's bound to get like a fifth place. Even like if the voting was today, you know, somebody would be like, that kid from Iowa. <laughs> the, the strange paradox is going to be that play didn't count. But your eyes didn't lie. You, you saw it. So I think, yeah, if he even has a little bit more production, I think if he just continues to to hold that standard, yeah, there's, it might not be a trip to New York. It's cold in December anyways. Why would you want to go? <laughs> but uh, might be getting a, a little uh, hype there as well. So uh, Deontay, like we said, has been close. He's been really close and yeah. he's definitely made his presence felt. Been close. He's had two sacks so far, so I just need eight for my prediction to hit. Um, but... <laughs> I think, you know, overall we've talked about, at least in the first three or four games, a lack of production sack-wise. Teams throwing the ball quickly, getting the ball out, kind of the recipe against an Iowa defensive line. That's pretty nasty. Um, seen more of that in the last few games. I don't think they didn't sack Cal Manis once, right? Or did they? No. Herkett almost had him for a yeah, safety that's there true, uh, yeah. in the second quarter. So the sack numbers across the border down. I still think he's made a major impact. Yeah. But uh, we'd like to see uh, the defensive line get some more pressures and in, in, in sacks yeah. the last four games. So before we wrap, what are the bold predictions going into the final four, five, maybe six games in 2023? Oh, boy. <laughs> I, I haven't thought much about what a bold prediction would be at this point, but if if I'm really thinking boldly um, and, and optimistically, <laughs> I think that after the bye week, the – offense comes out and they start to like turn the corner in a positive way. I think that maybe after the bye week, everybody gets healthy a little bit. Maybe Deacon Hill, things start to click in his mind a little bit at quarterback and starts, you know, he saw it on Saturday a little bit. The receivers were getting a little bit more involved, a few more targets, both to, to Seth, to Deontay, to Nico even. Um, I think that it's possible that this offense could turn the corner and finish the season not the worst in the country. That'd be my bold prediction. I've got two for you. Okay. Lay right. on us. And this isn't exact. you know, we're doing bold predictions. We're doing takes right now. All right. <laughs> you don't have to. We, we get it. <laughs> Stick to it. Joey Labus starts at least one game this year. Okay. I think he's going to get a chance. Um, just the inaccuracy of Deacon. And now that he's turned the ball over, if that happens again, I think Joey's going to get a chance. Um, second one, I think Vines finishes the year with the most receiving yards. Deontay Vines. He got two big catches last week. Now he's up to third with 125 yards. He just needs another 125. Well, actually, a little more than that. 175. 175 yards to, to eclipse that. And through five, through four games, well, actually, it's probably going to be six. But, um, well, it will at least be five. Yeah. I don't know if it will be six. I think it will eclipse uh, Eric Ols 299. I, th I think one of two things happens. So I'm splitting hairs here, like hedging my bets. I think either Joey starts a game or Cooper gets some sort of run on offense. And I know I said like a month ago that there was no way that was going to happen. I think I think there's just been too many examples that have been seen. I mean, Kirk 
called that punt return that wasn't one of the best plays he's ever seen. And I think as he sees the continued attrition on offense, I think he's finally maybe at that tipping point of let's get the kid a package. Let's do something. So it's either going to be, I think him spark, even if he's a decoy, I, I think we're getting to the point where maybe he does get out there in some capacity. I know that would wreak havoc on snap count and, and I, I don't know what form it could be, but I do think it's either going to be Cooper out there or there's going to be a change of quarterback. And maybe the change is Cooper is a wildcat type thing. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I wouldn't be shocked. Like, like you pointed out, as long as Deacon's not turning the ball over, all good. Two fumbles and a pick in a field goal safety game uh, against a, a rival at home, that's a tough spot. So I think if he does have one, if he goes into Evanston or Chicago, the friendly yeah. confines, uh, and has a game like that, you might see when you get back to Iowa City for Rutgers, yeah. um, maybe may a change. But yeah, that'd be my bold. Something's going to happen on offense. That's the bold prediction. Just something Don't happening Don't forget Sam LaPorta ran some Wildcat in the bowl game That's last yeah, year. Boy, yeah. it's, it's important to remember that Cooper Jean's high school career started as a wide receiver and then he switched to quarterback uh, as a junior. And so he's His got... His wide ex- receiver numbers were nuts too. <laughs> yeah, I looked those up last year. He, <laughs> he was great. He's got great number. I mean, he can do it at any position. And so whether you want to put him back there as a Wildcat quarterback or just as a wideout, um, somebody to throw the ball to. I mean, he could, he could do something on offense. I could see it coming either on maybe Maybe senior day, it's, you know, it's, he's not a senior, but might be his last game at Kinnick Stadium, that Illinois game or the Nebraska game, you know, late in the season where you're like, all right, we're not really saving anything up anymore for future games. So, like, let's let's give him a shot and see what happens. It's going to be super fun to come here uh, last week of November, first week of December and realize how off we are on all of this <laughs> stuff. But we'll see. It's a four game season now, maybe five, maybe six. Well, definitely five. There's a bowl game. They're bowl eligible at six and two. Uh, thanks to everybody for always watching Eye on the Hawks. It was great to get out here on a pretty darn nice day in October. Of course, you can follow us on social media at Eye on the Hawks on Twitter. The Iowa's News Now uh, YouTube channel and Instagram channels where you can get clips of the show, the full uh, visual version. Because if you're not watching this and you're just listening, you don't even know that we're outside. You don't know we're at Kinnick Stadium. So get on the YouTube channel. Look at the space we're using. We have three cameras out here, for goodness sake. So thanks to everybody for tuning in. Uh, Remember, nothing to recap on Sunday, so we won't have a Sunday episode. We'll be back with your normal Wednesday one next week as we get ready to head to Wrigley. It's going to be fun. You bet. All right. That's all we got. Thanks for uh, watching Eye on the Hawks. We'll see you next week as we get ready for baseball and football (laughs) together. (laughs) Oh, <laughs>